Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So, are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. What does I it say? it would be a good... <laughs> I didn't even get to idea. Okay. Maybe I can just ask you the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> going well it's going really well (laughs) hello and welcome back to the right and wrong podcast today i'm joined all the way from across the pond in new york by best-selling author lucy whitehouse lucy welcome to the show hi thank you for having me thank you hi oh it's our absolute pleasure we've caught you just after a book launch? Uh, yes. Um, Risk Farm, it came out uh, just at the beginning of July. Yeah. Brilliant. And how, how, did, how has that release been? Now that you're sort of in the wake of it, it must be pretty hectic during a book launch. Is mm. that sort of all calmed down now? Yes. Um, and obviously the pandemic has, uh, has really changed um, sort of what, yeah. what a book launch looks like. Uh, in the past, I've always sort of... Um, done a lot of in-person events but these days it's uh it's been zoom and um podcasts um and also i mean one of the things i like to do around book launches is um write articles and short stories so that hasn't changed but yes the in the in-person thing has uh the in-person thing has really has really changed um, but yes, mm. now in September, uh, it's it's back to school, new pencil case time for for, <laughs> for me, um, and I have uh, I have a new book to deliver, so I'm I'm back to work on the writing okay. side now. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you you say yeah with the uh, with lockdown, obviously everything's changed a lot on this podcast. We, I mean, our listeners will know this. A lot of our guests have been debut authors. Mm -hmm. Uh, whose book is either coming out or has recently come out. So a lot of them and a lot of the stuff that we've talked about is that people whose only experience of publishing is through like during this kind of crazy time. But you... It's such a shame. This is your fifth book. Um, It's actually my sixth. The House of Midnight. Oh, this is your sixth. Goodness. Yeah, so this prolific. is my sixth. Well, I don't know. I think I'm I think it's more a question of just being old, actually. Um. <laughs> so in terms of the difference between now and then, and not not just like the sort of the obviously those were there was much more in-person stuff and now it's online. How mm-hmm. do you think that's kind of affected the outreach of these books? Um for for good and ill, I think. I think um, the great thing, obviously, um, about um, moving online is that you can do so many more things. For example, last year, um, uh, excellent Paddy McGrain runs the um, Lime Crime Festival, and I was able to uh, from Lime Regis, and um, I wouldn't have been able to be there in person. Um, 
during yeah. the pandemic, of course, but either, even before it would have been difficult to do that. But I was able to be part of a live event at Lime Crime um, from a house on the water's edge in Maine, which was, oh. which was both surreal and brilliant. Um, so <laughs> yeah. from, that, from that point of view, great. But I, I don't think there's any substitute really for meeting people in person. You know, it is a, yeah. it's a different experience. Um, yeah, of course. And so I'm looking forward to that sort of cranking back up again. I know people are doing um, in-person events already. Yes. Obviously, I'm in, I'm in the States. Um, but hopefully by uh, by the time the next Robin book comes out, I'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be able to do some in-person, which will be fantastic really looking forward to that yeah i mean that would be brilliant and you're, you're definitely not alone in, in looking forward to that sort of thing mm. happening again mm. so then the natural my natural question on from there is when the next book comes out the next robin book comes out whatever mm. book it is you'll do the in-person stuff as you did with the previous stuff do you think there's anything that you sort of learned from the risk of harm launch during lockdown that you'll now kind of add in to, to the sort of more in-person ones? Um, I think kind of what, what's really become obvious to me is how, um, how important the online element of, of kind of book networking really is. I mean, I knew it, but there's knowing and knowing. Um, yeah. And uh, I think uh, the, uh, the pandemic's really kind of taught us how much, you know, book people are online anyway. I mean, it's such a perfect, such a perfect, way to connect um but then it also as i said kind of reinforced how much i like meeting people in person um <laughs> yeah. this is yeah, the yeah. lovely thing about the book trade is there's there's so many so many kind of great people involved in it and yes. obviously but people are book people so you just get together and talk books and that's that's one of the great pleasures of doing this for a living really it's a it's a huge privilege can't argue with that now i can't help but notice that you said robin three Yes. And this brings me on to uh, a question about, so as, as we said, you've, you've had six books. Yeah. Yeah. So Risk of Harm, the newest one set in Birmingham mm -hmm. is also, uh, is this, this is your first sequel, right? It is. Yeah. And if you're saying Robin three, there will be another one. There will be another one. So what was it, what was it after the first, um, ones? which are all kind of self-isolated in their own mm. being. What was it that in Critical Incidents, which is the one before Risk of Harm, what was it then that, that kind of changed your mind and, and made you think, I'm going to start writing sort of sequential books now? Well, it's a, it's a very good question. And uh, it's, uh, it's a strange, it's a strange kind of, uh, a strange situation, really. Um, my first four books, as you say, I've, I've always written within a sort of crime, um, crime sort of broad, broadly within crime. But my first, uh, my first four books were more psychological suspense as opposed okay. to sort of crime procedurals. And as you say, they were all standalones. The idea for the Robin books had a very strange, um, a very strange kind of beginning, really, because. I was working on Keep You Close in the library one day when a friend of mine um, from college um, emailed and said, have you, have you ever thought about, have you ever thought about, you know, writing something with a recurring character, a detective kind of uh, character who could uh, 
continue across multiple books. Um, and I wrote back and said, yeah, I've, I have this idea about a female detective going back to Birmingham, which is where she's from, um, you know, reluctantly having had quite a good career in the Met, that well, very good career in the Met, which she's then sort of blotted her copybook and been asked to leave. Um, and I thought, as I, I finished email and sent it, and afterwards I just thought, God, where did that come from? I had I had no idea that that's what I was thinking of <laughs> doing. Um, it's so so strange. Yeah, just completely snuck up on me. I mean, this is uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I just thank God for the sub- subconscious mind, really, because it's obviously yes. uh, it's obviously doing a lot more than my conscious mind is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it was, uh, yes, and after I'd written that email, I then couldn't stop thinking about it um, yeah. and thinking about how much I'd like to write this character. So that was, that was, part, of, that was part of my thinking. Um, and also the shift, between, um, the shift between psychological suspense and crime. The thing about psychological suspense is it's very internal. It's um, sort of inside one person's head quite often incredibly kind of claustrophobic and and that kind of that kind of plot doesn't really lend itself to sequels um you know generally there's the psychological suspense builds up to one catastrophic event but I think partly it was a process I mean the times we're living in um have been quite extraordinary for the past um well you know I would say five or six years ever since it living in the States ever since it became apparent that, that Donald Trump was a serious contender. Yes, it did um, sort of change everything. It did. And I think yeah. that was a real, that was a real wake up call. And I, over the past few years, I've been thinking how, how lucky I've been. I was born in 1975 um, to, to live in a, a time where, you know, I think I, I know I'm certainly guilty of this kind of feeling slightly complacent that, uh, things were more or less under control and then having this you know in the kind of western liberal culture that you know we we were blessed to live in a time of extreme peace and now I feel we're in a time of great upheaval and yeah. I, I wanted to address that which is not something that you can really um, not something you can really do um, in psychological suspense. I wanted to write I wanted to write a book that included some of the things that I spend my life thinking about. Um, the thing that I love about crime, um, is that it, it is, you know, just the perfect canvas for talking about, um, contemporary issues, but with a fantastic sort of plot framework that just, so you write a page turner, um, and hopefully have people kind of spinning through really quickly, but it also, it also allows and kind of requires you really, I think, to um, certainly if you're writing contemporary crime to handle some really important stuff. So it's the perfect marriage of the of the two things. Yeah, definitely. And just to just to bring anyone listening who is, has, has lost <laughs> or is feeling lost at what we're talking about here. Um, Robin is the lead character in Critical Instance and Risk of Harm. And, uh, she is said, uh, police person who has had a successful career and moved back to Birmingham in the most recent book. And 
in 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 the new book you you were talking about how you like to talk about you know the this industrialism and the effect of politics and things in the world and you really cover those in risk of harm when you it uh, it's a woman is stabbed in a derelict factory uh, and then under pressure from her superiors robin has to try and um figure out you know what what's gone on and there's there's also added pressure from the media and also a group of far right nationalists so is that is that really you kind of talking about the discussion of you know these insane politics these extremist politics that are we're seeing kind of all around the world yes um exactly um the the thing about post-industrial um post-industrial kind of society and the the change i mean that's one of the reasons the the like everything with writing there's always two reasons for everything i find there's never it's yeah. never one simple thing so first of all the the reason for starting in the in the derelict factory in the body in the derelict factory the simple reason is my dad's family had a factory a small factory that really kind of tells the story of so much of birmingham um, over the last sort of century and a half. When I was a child and I used to go and visit my dad at the office, there were loads of factories all down the street. But now um, his is the only one that's left. Um, mm. And uh, that fascinates me, um, just how sort of this lively, uh, this lively kind of community of factories, which had a working pub at the, the end of the street where, you know, people used to go in for a pint and a sandwich at lunchtimes derelict now yeah and I, I find that incredibly moving um and also think you know how profoundly that changes kind of the life of a, a city and the life of the people who work there um and what that means anyway this all this all sounds very uh this all sounds very academic but it's actually uh you know this is actually uh uh a story of of murders and um yes. Yeah, so that that was why the factory at the beginning. It's it was a brilliant location. Like um, I couldn't resist writing about it. Um, but that's that's great, and I, I love hearing about the reasons why people make choices, which on the surface might seem just like you know why not a factory, but like mm. you, this is obviously something that even if it's only brief in the book you know it, it, it's something that resonates with you and, and that always mm. comes through in writing and that, there's just a genuine quality when when there's you have all this kind of backstory to it yes is exactly i i think it really i think it really does i was talking to the brilliant um the brilliant crime writer jane casey um who yeah. uh writes the the maven doant um series um so good um but she and I were talking about this how do you come up with ideas for new books and even though you know I'm on I'm now writing book seven and I I think that she is now on I think she's now on book 10 I've slightly lost track she's so productive uh, yeah. so much so much more of a hard worker than me <laughs> um but uh she um she and I were both saying when when we spoke that an idea really has to sort of resonate with us for us to you know get excited to spend a year writing about it. It has to be something that you um, that you know you really feel engaged with to get that to get that yeah. feel in the writing. It does come across. You can you know I never want to get to the I never want to get to the point with my writing where I feel like I'm phoning it in. 
um, yeah. and just coming up with, oh, how can we murder somebody this time? That's, you know, <laughs> d- doesn't, th- that doesn't interest me. Um, That's really interesting because I was, um, I was watching a talk that you did a few years ago mm. and, uh, and this, con- this leads really, really nicely into that um, because you said, uh, <laughs> and I've got you on record here. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> you, I think you were describing the inception of what became your first published book, mm. and you described it as as the moment you finally had an idea with movement. Mm. And when you say with movement, uh, this is kind of what you're talking about here. But how? Ha- oh, 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 you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. How is it that you distinguish an idea with movement versus just another idea, which might also be a good idea, but doesn't necessarily have movement. As you it say. doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have legs. Doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't have movement. Um, I think really what what happens is that um, when you when you have an idea that's uh, I, I have I have a friend who always had brilliant ideas for short stories, um, and uh, I used to. I used to be a bit freaked out by him because he had these inc- <laughs> incredibly kind of um, clever ideas um, yeah. and sort of what if ideas, which my ideas never never come like that. Mine, I've always started with sort of atmosphere and character and a sense of something that you know so- something is definitely going to go wrong, but what? Um, and I used to think, well, maybe maybe I'm not a real writer that I don't you know, I can't come up with these kind of, you know, brilliant in a nutshell, um, kind of, um, little kind of high concept ideas really. Um, but I, I realized that mine kind of starts slow and then in, if they have, if they have movement, I think it's, it's more that things start to attach to them. Um, right. first of all, I, you know, if I have an idea of like, Oh, this would be a great location for a thing, uh, for a story. And then, then I said, and what if somebody came here who was trying to get away from somebody and what would mm. that mean if, and then, Oh God. And then you see something in the news that, uh, that think, well, that would, that's really interesting. And if she was involved in that and then, and then smaller details, it's, it's more, I think it's, I mean, it's a bit like my, uh, I think of it as my sort of brain being a bit like a kind of pin board. And if an idea's got, if an idea's got movement and a kind of, you know, if it's got s- sort of that energy that's going to build, things start kind of attaching themselves to the pin board, um, right. yeah. you know, without, without my really needing to push it. If, if I find I'm, if I find I'm kind of searching, searching around and thinking, will that work? Would that work? Would that work? Then it's, you know, it's not a goer, but, uh, if I find suddenly then thinking, oh yeah. And then that could, then that it's, it's really a sense of, you know, is 
you know, it's a rolling stone, but is it gathering moss or not? And if it if it okay, gathers yeah. if it gathers moss, then it then it's uh, it's a goer. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting you talk about yeah because short stories, a lot of them, as you say, is super high concept, and, mm. and the. The, the classic the kind of big ones when you you look at the sort of sci-fi ones mm. like asimov and uh, philip k dick and mm. that lot and obviously they've written these iconic short stories that are so interesting and such high concept but mm. wouldn't necessarily work as a novel exactly yes they've they've the they just sort of come fully formed as uh as short story length that's obviously what they were sort of meant to be um yeah, exactly that uh, yes, novels you need you need something that you know that can be sustained over a hundred thousand words or well eighty if you're you know or seventy well, if depend, you're yeah depending yeah, depending on the depend, genre, <laughs> on the genre uh, yeah. say a hundred roughly um, my novels are always about one hundred and ten thousand. Okay. Um, I uh, have friends who write much longer um, and friends who write shorter, but yes, mine are yes. mine are generally around that. Mark. Yes, I, I've read a lot of fantasy, and that some of those air towards three hundred thousand plus. <laughs> yes, exactly. Some of those uh, towards uh, repetitive strain injury of the wrist. <laughs> yeah, the Kindle's a bit of a gift from that point of view. I, I oh, think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The only thing about reading a book that long on a on a Kindle is is he's like, God, I've been reading for the weeks, and the bar has not moved. <laughs> <at all." laughs> it's a bit demoralizing. Yes. <laughs> but if we can for a minute go go back a bit and uh you've had quite an interesting uh career in publishing mm. uh you didn't initially start as a writer you went uh, did you work for tatler briefly i did i did um it was strange it was like going to finishing school i think um <laughs> Uh, yes, it was, uh, that was a strange interlude. Uh, when I, when I was at college, um, I edited the student newspaper, which I loved. I mean, for a long time, for a long time, um, sort of growing up, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and so, I mean, I loved, I really loved student journalism. It was really, really fun. Um, and I made some of my, some of my best friends still doing that. Um, and uh, then, funny enough, it's obviously really difficult to get into journalism. Um, but uh, the thing that caught me a job um, at Tatler was was none of the none of the journalism, but the fact that I could use Quark Express, um, which would would <laughs> would use to um, which would use to uh, lay out the newspaper. So um, okay, so I yeah I managed to get a, a job on that basis. Um, and I worked there for a year as a sub editor, um, so working okay. on, working on copy, which was fantastically helpful. Actually, it was uh, you know I was a real punctuation nerd anyway, um, <laughs> and uh, that that just cemented it. Um, but it was a real pleasure to to just spend a year picking over other people's words. But um, <laughs> I realised yeah. that um, I wasn't enough of a news hound to want to be sort of a serious reporter i i couldn't imagine myself ever sort of wanting to go to war zones um but i also didn't want to um i knew from working at tatler that i didn't want to work on a fashion magazine um it's just not my uh just not my strength shall we say um so uh 
And then um, I don't know why I'd never thought of it, but a friend of mine said, why don't, why don't you think about moving into publishing? And so um, so I did. Um, I got a job working for an audio publisher and they do unabridged audiobooks, the huge ones, um, oh, much okay, better yeah. now on CD and obviously downloading. But at the time, yeah. most of their sales were to libraries on cassette, you know, the vast kind of... 36 cassettes, uh, oh, yeah. audio books. Um, <laughs> yes, I know those. Yeah. But that was, uh, it was such a great, such a great start working in publishing because we got sent, we got sent all the new books, um, to sort of, uh, uh, in the hopes that, you know, we would buy the rights to make unabridged recordings of them. Yeah. Um, and so I just read contemporary fiction from dawn till dusk. It was, it was brilliant. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, and after I'd worked there for three years, um, Darlie Anderson, um, who is the agent for um, Lee Child, John Connolly, Tana French, um, lots of other brilliant people, he um, he advertised for a foreign rights um, manager and I applied and somehow managed to get the job. Um, and I worked Amazing. there. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, he's, uh, he was great at giving kind of people with no, no, no direct experience, um, a job and uh, a chance to prove themselves. I just absolutely love that job. Um, love selling translation rights, uh, um, for anybody who doesn't know just the, uh, the right for foreign language publishers to translate books from English and sell them in their, in their own market. It was great. Again, this was, just a, a book community full of fantastic people, um, but this one international. Yeah. So it was a huge pleasure. Um, and I only very reluctantly stopped doing it. Um, when um, I sold my own book and needed time to write. Um, so oh, brilliant. yeah, yeah, that was, uh, but then after, after a while, I thought I missed it so much that I went back and um, I got another part-time job doing it three days a week which uh, before I had a family was uh, was just the best because I'm quite social yeah. and um, yeah, I'm sure. you know writing can be lonely so uh, yeah working three be. days a week and writing the rest was was great. So while you were working um, as a translation trans is it translation manager? Uh, rights manager yeah. Rights manager. Mm-hmm. What what was your how did how did you go from that to getting a book published? Did you submit to agents? Did you did you speak to agents that you just c- kind of came in contact with, or how was how was your journey into actually publishing from there? Uh, well, I had been working on the book that was uh, that became the House at Midnight for um, for a long time, for about six years, um, okay. and not not as. I mean, towards the end, in a much more sort of focused fashion, but it, it started slowly and, you know, with all with all first books, well, not all, but with a lot of first books, you know, a steep learning curve. You're, you're seeing whether you can do it and, uh, and learning as you go along and editing. Um, and, uh, yes, then um, one night I went out for dinner with the German agent that the – that we worked with, um, who I got on with very well. And, uh, he said to me, he said to me after we'd had about 17 glasses of wine, 
Um, I think you write, Lucy, and I think seventeen. Uh, well, maybe maybe, maybe seven. Um, and Who can remember? Uh, yeah, well, I have no idea. Um, a few. Um, uh, he said, "I think you write," and I said, "No, no, no." And he said, "No, I think you do." And we have uh, we have a meeting tomorrow at ten a.m. Bring me some of your work and. Uh, Oh God! Um, so I got home, found out my best friend, and said, "What do I do?" You know, she said, "Well, you take in your first chapters, of course." I was like, oh, "Yeah, good point." Uh, so, uh, so I did. I took them in, and um, a couple of weeks later, he got in touch with me and said, "I've, I've read them, and I think I can sell this in Germany," um, which was such in a in Germany because uh, you know he's a German agent, right. and okay, yeah. and I thought. Strange. Um, so I, yeah. he said, but I need the whole book. So I had to finish it, which took me two or three months. Um, okay. And then, um, yes, then he then he sold the book in Germany. And on the basis of that, um, he of that sale, he put me in touch with an English agent that he worked with, who I didn't know, and um, and it went from there. She she sold um, she sold. The House at Midnight to Bloomsbury, which was, you know, amazing. Amazing. So the translated version was sold before the original before, language version. It was, yes. It's just, How funny. There's so many, I mean, so many different routes to, so many different routes to publication. It's just, that was a really unusual, really unusual yeah. one. And, and this is an interesting question I'd, I'd love to ask you. People always say the it's almost harder writing the second book especially if your first one's done well did you have you found that and as progressively as you've written more books has it gotten harder or easier in any way um both uh, i think both, the, reassur- yeah. the the reassuring thing about um so writing kind of second third fourth um is that you know you can do it i think when you're writing your first one there's always a question of you know it's such a huge thing i used to share a house one of my flatmates um in london was um was a marathon runner and uh, he he always used to um he always used to compare it to writing books he said oh my god you know it just takes so long um and it does it's you know it's definitely not a sprint um but once once you've done it you at least have that you uh, do at least have that knowledge but yeah there's definitely definitely the second time you think you know god was that a fluke can i do it again um i was i was lucky because my my second book i'd started sort of planning before the first one sort of was published in the in the time between in the time between sort of the book being bought by Bloomsbury, the first book, and then and then being published, there was quite a long lead time because they didn't publish a huge number of books, and so there was eighteen months between the two, um, okay. between the being bought and being published. So in that time, I'd done quite a lot of work on my second one. Um, oh, okay. Right. So that that helped, um, and also, um, I mean. Every single, I would say, I, I saw a thing, um, again, Jane Casey talking to um, Ian Rankin on Twitter the other day. It was so funny. And uh, um, Ian, Ian Rankin saying, it's blood, sweat and tears every time. Um, and I feel that is definitely the case with me too. 
that I mean, you might think I forget how many um, how many Rebus books he is in now, like fifteen maybe or seventeen yeah. or a long way in. Um, but they're brilliant, and if anything, I mean, they are always brilliant. But if anything, I think he's getting better, and I think that's um, I think that's the blood, sweat, and tears every time that you know it's not he's never phoned it in. It's always always a challenge even you know with the same characters recurring um so it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't get easier i don't i don't think um it you have some confidence behind you you know that you know that you can do it um and but i mean like all things in life you remember you remember the bad reviews and the good ones go in in one ear and out the other so um Somebody, you know, the one, uh, the one, sort of, you you forget the kind of the glowing write up in the Sunday Times and obsess on the Amazon reviewer who said, oh, "I didn't like these characters." Yeah, and you yeah. think, "Well, you're not. First of all, you're not supposed to like them, but second of all, you know, this is like, oh. they're the villains. You're not supposed to like." Them. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, it's. It's uh, if you if you have a tendency to self criticism, it's it's you know it's not a breeze, um, but yeah. uh, yes, it, it, it's easier and harder. Uh, is the yeah. very waffly way to answer your question. <laughs> but I think I think we got there, and 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 in there, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really great advice that that I know I, I I can kind of take out of that, and hopefully everyone listening can also take. Okay. And that leads us on to. The final, most dreaded of all questions. Hmm. If you were stranded on a desert island and were allowed to take just one book with you, ignore all the people beforehand who have cheated, just okay. one book, <laughs> which book would you take? So hang on. I, I do I do need to I do need to clarify first. Are we allowed the complete works of Shakespeare and and the Bible as it well? It has been allowed. Uh, it has been allowed. Okay, good. It has been allowed before, yes. People have uh, tried to sneak multiple books in. Uh, have they? What crooks? Yeah. We've we've um, kind of allowed series as well, but Oh. We well, should tighten up really. Yeah. Okay. Well I'll <laughs> I'll stick to the letter of the law. Um, I come from Stratford on Avon, so I, I feel like uh, I feel like Shakespeare is is my homeboy. So uh, oh, you know, I'd like blood. him to come. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, another good Midlander. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I don't know. My probably my my two favourite writers are um, Dickens and um, Graham Greene. But I think okay. Hmm. Who's I got the bigger completed works? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> Dickens wins that hands yeah. down. But uh, um, I think uh, I'd go for some Graham Greene. Um, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, and probably Brighton Rock. It's a perfect. Uh, oh yeah, it's amazing. it's amazing. I mean, I love him because he, you know, he's the s- stories are perfection, but also the language is. Uh, I got into writing because I love language. And so, you know, I, I, that's important to me in my own writing. And I love the way I love Graham Greene's simplicity and economy, but he's brilliant at place. Um, but he's also brilliant at plot and crime and psychology. So he is, uh, yeah, I think I'd take Brighton Rock. 
That sounds, I mean, it sounds like he's a real inspiration to you. And obviously it's very much your bread and butter in terms of genre. Totally. Well. Yeah. 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 He's, he's sort of perfection for me because, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's both. He's, yeah. he's, he's language, he's language and, and plot and, and psychology. I mean, psychology to me, my, my, is my kind of major interest in, in crime that's yeah. i'm not i my books aren't gory um or not particularly um and uh, i don't really have any interest in kind of um gruesome and inventive ways of killing people but um <laughs> i uh, i'm more interested in why people do things and uh, yeah. so for that so for that it's graham uh <laughs> yeah graham. love him well it's a great choice it's a re- it's a really great choice Thank and you. um that, that about wraps up the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you uh, for having me. It was a real pleasure. It, yeah, it's been an absolute joy speaking with you. For everyone listening, if you want to keep up with Lucy's latest workings uh, and her announcements, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at lwhitehouse5. And you can also find her on Facebook at Lucy Whitehouse. And that's Lucy spelt with an I-E. To make sure that you don't miss an episode of this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. You can get your hands on all of Lucy's books right now. So go and check them out. Huge thanks to you to Lucy for joining me today. And big thanks for everyone listening. We'll see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.